0: All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Yep, you need to go out to corephysicaltherapy.com right off the bat and make that your first stop in finding uh, answers to better health. Corephysicaltherapy.com. It's a fun site. I like it. Chelsea, do you like it? Oh, yeah. Good answer. You work for CORE. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a great topic. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I'm pretty excited about it. Pretty stoked. Augmented reality, total soldier. Uh, soldier. <laughs> Bet you've never done that. <laughs> Shoulder surgery. And um, I, I, I don't know where that's going to go, but we have a panel. A panel that will definitely explain where it's going to go. Uh, Dr. Trenhale, Trenhale. Did I say that right? Please. You did. Okay. All right. Give us a little 411, a little background on who you are.
1: So I practice in Rockford, Illinois. I work at uh, Ortho Illinois. And essentially, I have a shoulder and elbow and knee sports practice. Um, But it does comprise mostly of shoulder surgery. And it's a high percentage volume of arthroplasty or shoulder replacement surgery, which I I believe is the topic today. So that is why I'm here. All right.
0: Excellent. All right, Chelsea. Give us a little background on who you are outside of the fact that you are moving. Don't, <laughs> don't tell us about that one.
2: I'm Chelsea Turner. I'm physical therapist and clinic manager at CORE Physical Therapy uh, Edgebrook in Rockford, Illinois. I've been there for about three years, but I've been an athletic trainer for eight years, and I was a patient of Dr. Trenhal's 15 years ago.
0: Oh, get out of it, man. That's great.
2: <laughs>
0: so, so what were you, what, six Ta-da! You're welcome.
1: You're <laughs> thank welcome. you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm glad uh, we're not talking about elbow surgery. The, the one we did on that one, that was just gruesome. I, I pulled some pictures up about dislocated elbows and I just got all these squeamish. <laughs> I'm glad we're not doing that. Alright, Dr. Rick, take it away.
3: First of all, I want to thank everybody uh, for this podcast tonight and this this really looks to be a great topic and I think this is the future, um, not only a sports medicine, but arthroplasty in general. So I think we'll learn a lot and, uh, we have a great panel. Um, uh, Dr. Trenhill, before we get started, give us just a little idea about a conventional total shoulder arthroplasty, um, who's a candidate, what you're looking for, uh, what your imaging is, etc.
1: Certainly. So basically the definition of a shoulder arthroplasty is where we replace the shoulder joint or the ball and socket with essentially metal and plastic. And the reason to do that is to alleviate the pain in the shoulder and also improve range of motion and function. Ultimately the operation used to be one that was for the, quote unquote, the elderly. And what we've seen is that this, particular area of medicine has basically exploded with the baby boomer population and is, and the, so the indications have really expanded into the younger patient uh, cohort. And basically is, is something that's uh, really helped a lot of folks because the implants now last a lot longer and they perform much better. And I think we've learned a lot of tricks and things along the way to, to uh, better, indicate patients for surgery and also um also do the procedure better as well. So there's been all kinds of improvements and things. And uh it's been a it's been a great journey over the last 20 years that I've been in practice.
3: So before we get moving uh along to augmented arthroplasty, let's let's talk about some indications. You have a 31 year old or 40 year old gentleman had maybe anterior shoulder instability, ended up having a reconstruction back in the day. um, They come in They've got a big inferior spur, significant degenerative changes, and um, tell you they can't really work out, having a lot of pain. How do you work that patient up, and, and, and what do you tell that patient?
1: Yeah, certainly. So these are some of our most challenging patients because they are young, athletic. They've got a whole life ahead of them yet, and certainly the first diagnostic test that we would get is, is not only a physical exam in history, but also diagnostic, just plain x-rays x-rays can tell you a lot in terms of whether there's uh, complete joint space loss and or if there is a problem with the rotator cuff and other structures around the shoulder so i think x-rays are a must and um, certainly then you can move to other three-dimensional testing after that depending on where the exam goes and and certainly what the patients have tried and so on
3: and, and, and once you work the patient up, maybe you, 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 whatever, an MRI, 3D reconstruction, whatever you're going to do, um, in, in that young patient population, are they a candidate for an arthroplasty or how, how do you, you kind of work through their pain
1: and their limitations? Yeah, certainly with someone who's in their 30s to 40s, if you said to me, is that a patient that you would do an arthroplasty on? The answer is typically no. But in a high-volume practice, you find yourself once or twice a year doing just that. Um, And it, it takes a lot to get to that point because there's small things that we can do where we simply try medications. We certainly try physical therapy to try to optimize the scapulothoracic rhythm and all of the musculature around the shoulder. We try to modify their activities. We explore some of the different injectables as well to help calm down the inflammation and sort of get these patients to live with their forever life problem potentially. And then, uh, once those things fail, in my hands at least, I move to an arthroscopic uh, debridement, oftentimes and or capsule release to help alleviate some of the pressure and and capsular contracture and restriction around the shoulder before jumping to an arthroplasty, certainly if, with someone in their thirties or forties. That was really so that, can good. Be a, that can be a, a, a pathway to take potentially.
3: That, 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 that was excellent. So Chelsea, uh, Dr. Trenhal sends a patient over, they had an arthroscopic release. Um, maybe they're a couple of days out, he wants to get the range of motion back, their external rotation back. Uh, maybe they have a little of that ratcheting sometimes. Um, Give us your your thoughts and and how you work up that patient and and what how are you going to direct their physical therapy, and what are you going to tell them in terms of expectations for the physical therapy?
2: Yeah, in terms of a capsule release or something like that, you know, we follow Dr. Hill's set protocol. Um, we're following tissue healing tissue healing timelines and um, just kind of progressing the patient as they tolerate and as symptoms allow. Um, when we get to that point where we really need to push, that's what I'm calling over to him and being like, hey, this is where we're at. Um, But as far as what patients can expect after that, after something like that is, you know, coming in and getting individualized care from us. So I'm always asking, my first questions are, you know, what did you do before? What are you not doing now because of your shoulder? And in the case of a post-surgical case, it's been, it's been that way for quite a while when it comes to that. Um, So I want to know where their end point is and what they have to get back to. And then their, their care plan is pretty much structured off of, you know, their activity.
3: Awesome. Thank you. Dr. Treadhill, let's, let's move on here a little bit and let's talk about, um, your augmented reality and, and kind of the progression. What's happened to total shoulders over the last, let's say four or five years and, 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 and talk to us about kind of the progression and and what you're, what
1: you're doing now. Yeah. So, really one of the biggest advancements we've seen with shoulder arthroplasty is the integration of uh, CT scans and better understanding of the bony anatomy, as well as uh, the soft tissue envelope around the shoulder. So uh, many years ago, we used to tell patients, well, I just, I, I really don't think your shoulder is reconstructible. There's not enough bone, or uh, we can just sort of go in there and see if we can put a total shoulder in. But if it, if it won't, if the, if the socket or the, you know, the glenoid won't hold a component, then we may have to just put in a hemiarthroplasty. And what has changed is not only are we reconstructing a lot more patients with many different types of severe deformities, but we're also doing this with uh, quite advanced technology that's based primarily off of CT scans. So we've kind of come full circle from getting us, we used to get CTs, way back in the day, which then moved into MRIs. And oftentimes, some of these patients, we know that potentially, say, a reverse total shoulder arthroplasty is really the only option. We go straight to a CT scan rather than an MRI, knowing that that's really where the technology that will help us the most to to pre-plan, and that pre-planning is done with things like GPS navigation, which is a pretty in-depth topic in and of itself. But that's really been uh, a significant advancement is these types of systems out there to help physicians do the surgery virtually before they ever even come to the OR and, and try out various challenging ways of approaching a, a tough case and getting the result that they, that they can reproducibly do in the operating room.
3: And, and are you finding more, more cases that you can reconstruct that have glenoid bone loss or kind of, what, what, what are the benefits and, and that, that, that this imagery is helping you correct? Well, you know, what can you do now that you couldn't do four or five years ago when you get a 3D reconstruction and you look at GPS um, guiding uh, technology for the instruments?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so one of the, there's different types of bone loss as we know, when, we, when we're doing total shoulder type surgery and, that, and there's the, the, the whole name of the game is there's bone loss and how do we hook an implant into this glenoid that has very little bone to begin with and how do we get it to be secure and go the distance and last? So it, it was a daunting thing for surgeons back in the day and, and we've gotten much braver with better implants. Better technology, better planning, and we really can find the. We can now find with with CT scan the best bone in the shoulder to hook into to be able to complete a case that we would have never been able to do just blind or doing it as we would just sort of exploratorily open it up and you know wing it so to speak. Like that, those days are long gone, and um, and I think it's been for, for a much better result for the patients.
3: And, and so how are you fixating your glenoid? You get, you, you, you work the patient up, you find that, Hey, there is some bone stock. There is some bone loss. Maybe there's some significant anterior bone loss. Um, and, and now you start your surgery. Tell us a little bit about the, the nuts and bolts. How do you, how do you fixate the glenoid? How do you fixate the um, humeral component? And what, what are you doing to, to, to improve? Because it seems like rates of loosening have, have gradually improved. You know, why is that?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and the name of the game here, uh, these days is avoiding cement is in, at least in my practice is there's all these different, uh, concepts that companies are coming out with, but they're we're able to press fit into bone with some type of uh, technology where the bone can have ingrowth and ongrowth onto a humeral and/or base plate or glenoid component, and really avoid cement altogether, and that becomes particularly important with younger patients in their late 30s and early 40s who you, who just exhausted every last option there is, and so we're using uh, implants that are can be implanted without cement uh shorter shorter stems on the humeral side so that there's bone preserving preserving procedures and uh also those those cases are typically some of the hardest ones we do because there's usually some dysplasia on the glenoid and there's all the, or post traumatic type instability as you mentioned from say 15 20 years prior and even hardware in the way and all kinds of broken screws and things that could that you know that you've inherited from your predecessors, and so those are those are exciting events, and and we try to do our best with those. And frankly, I th- really think uh, the avoiding cement is one of the key things to making these implants go longer because of the ingrowth and ongrowth that the 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 biology, so to speak, of it all.
3: And, and um, go ahead.
1: All I was going to say is, and then certainly the other piece of this is that, uh, you know, I I think we we used to think we were fairly accurate where we were putting our implants. And now these companies are coming out with GPS navigation and CT guidance. And it has been an eye opener in terms of where you're actually ending up versus where you thought you were, because there's areas of the shoulder that have great bone and areas of the shoulder that isn't so good. And you, and you have to, Play the hand you're dealt, so you you want to put your best foot forward, so to speak. And, and have tell tell us about the GPS.
3: Tell us about how that works, and tell us how you incorporate that in, in your arthroplasty.
1: So the, the particular system that I and I'll just disclose this. I'm a consultant for Exactech and have helped uh, develop some of these instruments and things. But um, the basically you, you have a patient that comes to your office you indicate them for surgery, you get a, a thin slice CT scan and you send it to the company and the company begin will take it through a, a, a process where they segment the CT and they send it back to you. And it in essence, you use the exact tech software to recreate the surgery and start to pl- place implants on a, on a screen to help. Say well, if I do this, then I ha- then I get this. If I try this, I get that. Is the offset right? Is the you know is the center of rotation where I want it? And it really allows you to be sort of creative in a stress free environment to to get the best um, compromise because it's all about compromise. Like you can't have it all, so you have to do your best, and you have to, and that's where you can try it ten ways if you'd like before you before you lock the plan. Once the plan is locked, then you load it into the uh, proprietary machine that they have and you reacclimate the CT to the patient via a transponder that you basically attach to the coracoid and take acquisition points intraoperatively, which adds about three to four, maybe five minutes, it, especially, especially when you're first learning how to do it. Um, what I've found is the cases where I want to do GPS it's really made the case go faster because you, you, you sort of avoid all the jigs and the retractors and guides that sort of slip off or don't quite sit right, and then you're having to fiddle with it. There's The fiddle's all kind of gone because you've, you've locked in your plan before you go. And not to get too off base, but the bad part about any sort of uh, guidance – type of equipment, whether it be um, an arthroscope tower or um, an image intensifier or GPS navigation is, is you never can really quite see it well when you're trying to work on the patient and you're always craning your head around trying to see where that piece of equipment is. When you wear the 3D goggles, you can take virtual screens and place the screen right next to the patient sterily, right where you want to look and see which is one of the many advantages of why I've incorporated virtual, uh, the non-virtual, the augmented reality. Even I say it, I'm getting get myself in trouble here. But um, the augmented reality helps facilitate using some of these other technologies. So it's, it's been a real journey. It's been great. And, 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 and is a GPS standalone
3: technology or is it all incorporated into your typical jig system? Kind of, kind of explain how they
1: go hand in hand. So when you're so most companies, they when they have a um, there you can you can bounce back and forth if you want, but if but say that the the true GPS navigation system is one where you're basically placing the instrument where you want to where you want to ream or where you want to drill, and you're basically raising your you can see in live time whether you need to raise your hand, drop your hands, so on and so forth. And so it's really guide free completely. It's kind of a huge leap of faith when you, when you do your first case, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tough at first. And then as the cases get more complicated and you have to trust it more and more, it's um it's, it's really a, a bit scary at first, but it, but the x-rays look great and you and so that piece of it, it's a standalone piece. the, the augmented reality is a, is a different piece of technology that that we layer over the top to make it e- even easier. So they're kind of two different things, and that and that's a, a a different piece of technology from a different uh, company.
3: And so the question I always get asked: I'm a sports guy, and I don't I don't do arthroplasties, but when I'm going to send someone for an arthroplasty, uh, the question is always the same, and that is, well, how long how long do, can I expect this to last? Which Obviously, it's directly related to their age and activity level. So, what do you tell those patients?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and it's 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 it just exactly that. It's it's related to activity level and bone stock quality, and and comorbidities of of other you know issues or things going on with the patient. I think we could we can quote older data with some of the classic implants, uh, say a total shoulder is uh, you know, 90, 93% good to excellent results at, at 10 years, 87% good to excellent results at 15 years. And things sort of drop off from there with the older implants that aren't what we're currently using today, because those data points haven't been gathered yet. So, um, you have to have some pretty honest and tough, hard conversations with patients about this is you know, there's a part of this is we don't know, but your quality of life is so bad at this point. Like we can make this a lot better for quite a few years to come. And interestingly enough, you'll see some of these patients come in that that have had thirty some years of a, a, a joint replacement. It it looks loose. It doesn't look all that great, but the patients are like moving their arm and they they look they they're happy and they're just like I want the other one done. And I'm like okay. <laughs> Pressure's on, but we'll do it, you know? So, yeah, that's a tough question, and it's a, and it's can be a sobering answer, but it's ultimately when you get to that point, you have to do something for for the patient.
3: And, and, and walk us through your post op course. When, when do you start
1: therapy? Cause we're going to kick
3: it to Chelsea here in a minute. And she's going to tell us about the post op therapy, but what do you tell them in terms of activity when they start range, when they start, when they can go back to, to playing? or whatever they, whatever they do. What, 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 what's their post-op course?
1: Yeah, I think the the post-op course is, is drastically different for an anatomic total shoulder versus a reverse total shoulder. And, um, you know, the big thing with the anatomic total shoulder is certainly you have to take down the subscapularis rotator cuff in the front, as we all, most people do. There are some subscap sparing techniques that I don't, that sort of came in went a, a bit it's very hard to do and it's you have to have the right patient and all so most patients get a sub a subscap takedown which really limits your external rotation for that first six weeks uh there's passive range of motion that can be happening but but actively i'm pretty conservative until that six week mark has been achieved and then we sort of move from there and and um, advance with uh, active active assist range of motion but the, the first six weeks is the most limiting on the reverse side of things, uh, you know, so you flipped the ball and socket, so to speak. And classically, the, the Grammont style reverse is, is what was, you know, brought to the, was invented in the 90s and brought to the US in the early 2000s. And the problem with that implant, it's a great implant. It gives you fantastic forward elevation, but it can dislocate because you've taken your, your center of rotation and you've uh, distalized and medialized it. So the pec major becomes a, dis, a dislocating force. The, new, the newer implants, are, all the companies have really gone to a lateralized center of rotation, whether they do it on the glenosphere or on the, on the, humeral, uh, the humerus. And it, they, they're tremendously more stable to where early dislocation is kind of not a thing we even really worry about. So we tell patients, avoid extension and internal rotation with axial load, which that's a fancy way of saying, just don't push your, he- your arm out, of, use the armrest with your operative arm to push yourself out of the chair. That's the best way to dislocate your arm. If you can keep your hand out in front of you for that first four to six weeks, and just, you can begin to use it with active and passively, it, it, you'll really be, you'll do just fine. And then a therapist can really help with sort of that scapulothoracic rhythm and getting things set to help the deltoid become more efficient. Um, but it's, it's, it's a bit different. And I, and I, you know, I can turn the, the floor over to the expert with that.
3: <laughs> but Chelsea walk us through a conventional total shoulder an anatomic total shoulder, and then walk us through a reverse and, and how long they in therapy, what's their therapy entail What's their home program kind of give us stepwise, what what you're going to tell the patients and what you're going to do for the patient.
2: Yeah. Both with both um approaches, we start with passive range, like Dr. Trentell had said. Um, you know, we're abiding by any maximums that were set per per timelines. Um, then I move on to isometrics. The anatomic total shoulders, you can go, we get, we get to the isometrics and starting active range a little bit quicker. Then we do the reverse total shoulders, uh, just as I said, just because that risk of dislocation. Um, so once we get to uh, isometrics, um, then we're on to active assistive range and then active range. So we use the pulleys. Um, the biggest complaint I have with patients after both surgeries is incisional pain. Uh, so one of my kind of key features of my rehab is incorporating a stim as early as I can. Um, a stimming around the, the incision, not over while it's still healing. And then as soon as we get the green light, getting that scar mobilized and ready to go. Um, that's where, you know, when people are getting me cranking on their shoulder, that's where they're complaining about <laughs> where it's at. So if we can resolve that, then they're usually a lot more comfortable in general.
3: And, and Dr. Tran, give, give us a little idea. Cause this is a, another common question. You know, what can I do? Can I play tennis? Can I snow ski? And I'm not talking about immediate post-op, but you're, <laughs> yeah. you're three months out, you're six months out. What, what are the limitations of activity? Can you play golf? What, what, what do you tell your patients in terms of activities and then when is
1: return to sport is return to sport three months, six months? Yeah, that's, those are great questions. And a, so in terms of golf, uh, I would say yes to reverse or yes to the anatomic and yes to reverse uh, by all means, both of those are, are sports that you can return to. Uh, golf's a great sport because you can basically work on your short game down low. I mean, you can start putting within a couple of weeks and then move to the, the fringe shots and, and so on, as you move along, uh, it probably takes, you know, the, that four to six months before you really are, are picking up your driver and uh, really letting it rip. Um, I, I warn people that their you know, their, their swing may become a little more compact and it and it, it may hurt their distance a little bit, but they're oftentimes if they go through the whole plan their their accuracy improves and so it doesn't matter i mean they they're they're pretty happy right they're 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 pain-free and they're playing tennis um i think tennis with an anatomic is more viable than with a reverse potentially because of the some of the um, internal rotate you know they lose some internal rotation with a reverse potentially uh it it depends on what's left as we all know that you're doing reverses for different reasons like cuff arthropathy means that some of the cuff may be there some of it isn't and albeit we can make their forward elevation better uh some of the other aspects of their rotator cuff are a bit of an unknown whereas an anatomic total shoulder is a little bit more planable i guess or predictable um so uh a lot of folks will start out with doubles tennis just because it's a little you know there's Maybe, I hate to use the word less intense, but it's, it's, there's not a, you know, a single serve is, is tough at first. So that's probably a four to six month endeavor. Um, so it, it, I play that sort of case by case a bit, but I don't rule those things out. Uh, skiing, I don't have a problem with skiing, especially with an anatomic, uh, some you know, reverses, uh, people do it. I mean, you you can't stop especially athletes, um, it's, you know, you, you do your best to protect them, but they're going to do what they feel comfortable doing. And, and, uh, and off, I'm often told that they they're doing it, you know, it's, it's just part of life. So it is what it is, right. We, we do our best.
3: And what about swimming? Can it, can go through an anatomic and a
1: reverse in terms of, uh, swimming? I found throw- it. Either one of those swimming in, in my hands is is not discouraged by any means, um, and some of that depends on how. I mean, Chelsea can kind of comment on some patients kind of fly right through, and others struggle a bit. And it's it's um, you know maybe it's my technical fault for that, but uh, but I think again you kind of play the hand you're dealt, and you're reconstructing what's what's there, and uh, but but a a pool situation can actually get a shoulder moving sometimes and do things that, that we struggle with on land on our own. So I've always found the pool to be an interesting tool. Uh, so I, I, I encourage it. I don't discourage it, but it's, it's a, you know, later on it's the three to six month era for me, just to, just to make sure we've got the wound to heal and and we're getting things to fire and sort of do what they're supposed to do. Awesome.
3: And Chelsea, tell us about the home program. What do, you, what do you? How how many times a week do you see the folks, and for how long do you see the folks, and what what does their home program entail?
2: So typically, for total shoulder, we'll start seeing them around four weeks post-op. Um, we'll probably see them in the clinic three times a week, um, and then I expect my patients to do uh, exercises. Um, initially daily, that'll be like your table slides, really simple stuff where you get out of the sling and just slide the arm along your kitchen table, um, doing your pendulums, simple things like that. Uh, As we progress in the clinic, your home exercise progresses with that. So like I said, then I'm giving you printouts of the isometrics. um, And and I I have something for somebody to do every day, not everything every day. Um, And like I said, as as you progress in clinic, you're progressing at home. So if there's something that you can do at home, that's what you're going to be doing. And we're going to be constantly giving you new stuff in the clinic, um, not keeping you bored. As you get through, we uh, tend to wean down to two times a week. And then, uh, you know, graduation occurs anywhere. Some people, like Dr. Traniel said, some people fly right through. Um, They could be looking at an eight-week rehab. Some people are 12 to 16 and then that also is very dependent on what they want to do if they're going back to golf. And it it can be to a point where we, we keep them in therapy eight weeks. We got to wait for some things to heal. We got to wait for range of motion to progress at home. um, And then they want to come back and work on a higher skill. So then, you know, they discharge therapy for a little bit. They come back when they're ready to get, you know, out on the golf course. So now we're starting to get people back for various things and uh, in preparation for summer activities.
1: That
3: was excellent. So, Dr. Tranhill, give us, give us your ideas about this technology for other procedures, MPFLs, ACLs, et cetera. I mean, is there – got to think that, that technology is going to progress, and especially trying to find the isometric point on, a, on an MPFL,
1: um, h- how does this relate? Well, uh, that's a great point. So I think I would switch gears. You know, I think th- these technologies will definitely uh, – overlap and, and overlay over each other. But I'll, uh, I will submit to you that where I found we, we take these CT scans and make a three-dimensional image and load them into the goggles and wear them the goggles in the operating theater, not only can you access the radiographs, the MRI, and the CT, you can have them all side by side in the room, out of your field, but right very in front of you but you can have these 3d models and you can twist and turn and enlarge and you can, you know, there are little lumps and bumps on the bones that where the isometric points are supposed to be for these ligaments. And you're like, I think that's it. Is that it? I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, we, I I think it, it has a huge effect in terms of, um, you know, multi-ligamentous knee reconstructions with converging tunnels and things where it gets a bit complicated, revision situations, um, trying to drill you know, the the least invasive type of tunnel or, or anchor point onto a patella and not, not crack the patella, you know, because of the lack of bone. Uh, a bony bank can be somewhat challenging if it's more than one big piece, certainly, or, and even potentially um, rec- Reconstructing or doing a ladder shape procedure for glenoid bone loss. I mean that that's another thing in the sports arena where having these holographic three D images is so much better because you've you can take the image and look all the way around it. Put your you can look up, be inside of it practically, and, and and see like oh man that's that's the problem right there. So it's exciting stuff. I think there's a lot of things that will be developed in the future to help guide us. We're certainly not there yet by any means and and I would not say it's the, the goggles are a, a, an educational tool at this point with a whole lot of future to come as as the technology expands and and you think that
3: that will be applicable for total hips and total knees and total elbows et cetera. i mean is that just is that just the next step
1: yeah absolutely i think i think there'll be a lot of companies and players in the space because it's it is the way of the future Um, you know, this is one of the, this is, this company is one of the early adopters and it's neat and fun and cool. And I, and I think it's just going to blow up from there. I, I really do. It's having all this, all of this technology at your fingertips while you're in the sterile field is, is very powerful. And then even beforehand, so you have the right hardware, the right plan, you've, you can collaborate, you can, you can, I even collaborated with a couple of surgeons in Europe where, they did a complex elbow osteotomy. And I was literally looking through their polo lenses with through the assistant and the surgeon and back and forth. And it was seamless. It was incredible. We videotaped the whole thing. We took pictures. You can take notes. I mean, it's nuts. It's really advanced stuff. It's fun. That's awesome. It's like an iPhone 30. I
3: mean, it's crazy. (laughs) Um, That's good. So, so, so tell us where the future is going. I mean, in, in arthroscopic surgery and in, in arthroplasty, is it all going to be, you know, VR? Is it all going to be, um, is it robotic? What wh- Where are we headed?
1: Uh, I I think it's probably, you know, there'll be several streets in that town and, and they all get you to a destination you're headed to, but there'll be different pathways that are better than others. I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I think... Um, I think that the, the augmented reality is for say trauma, you know, complex pelvic fractures and uh, Pilon fractures and all those kind of things that my partners think, thank goodness they're around to help me with, but they, they tackle these things. I think that's an immediate advancement with, uh, augmented reality. I think with sports, um, there are, be- there are some techniques that are being developed, to integrate MRI as well as CT. And I think that would be nice to know in terms of, you know, let's say you're trying to avoid the neurovascular bundle of X, Y, and Z, wherever that is in the body, behind the knee or, you know, on the, in the distal humerus or I don't know where, you know, wherever. And you can see, you can predict where these things are going to be and give you a sense of when you're getting into trouble before you get there. It's pretty neat stuff. And then we're, it's all in its infancy, infancy at this point. Um, but it's just, you know, at some point you got to jump in. And I, it, for me, it was time because it's, th- there's enough benefit already that I on an educational side that I wanted to be involved with it right away. I think that's awesome.
3: So, so Chelsea, what do we forget? What should we have talked about that we didn't talk about?
2: Dr. Trenhill, in your opinion, uh, in terms of tissue healing, because there's a probably a little bit less trauma with this surgery, do you think that these patients maybe, you know, can beat the protocol by a week, couple weeks? Is there what's the insight on that?
1: In terms of, with regards to, um, lim- like uh, various techniques. Uh, Maybe I don't understand your question.
2: My thoughts are that because this is so precise and remodeling the, the joint um, exactly as it does um, that there would be a little bit less tissue trauma than normal, not much because you still have to open the joint and get in there. But my thought would be that uh, this rehab could, could go just a a hair quicker. Uh,
1: Well, I think you're right. Um, The way I interpret that is that, um, when we, so we can say we use GPS navigation on a, on a very tough case. We can take the, the, say that the patient has retroversion of 25 degrees, which is, you know, 20 way more than what it should be. We can correct that to new, to zero and then build out to get the deltoid wrapping angle and, and actually re- reconstruct the shoulder so that it works properly. That the, the posterior cuff is tensioned correctly with the anterior structures and so on um, to me, that's gotta make therapy work better because you're not fighting like the contracted posterior cuff and the maybe purposely lengthened subscap in the front on an anatomic total shoulder because you're trying to gain balance. The technology helps guide you through that and not, um, not guess so much. I mean, frankly, it's, it's a, you know, surgery is an art form of course. And and this is meant to sort of standardize things and make things a little more predictable. So, uh, yeah, I mean you you've seen it when when everything clicks, it clicks, and and when people are struggling, there's always reasons, but and sometimes they're unavoidable. But I think this helps make things less unpredictable. Technology I mean, in general. So as you long think as there's
3: understand. going to be fewer outliers in terms of? I mean, you always you always hear about, you know. GPS systems, um, your outliers for whatever the arthroplasty is, do do you think that's applicable for the shoulder as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, There's people that are just, you know, are insistent on using it on every case. And the longer I do it, the more I think they're right. Because a couple of millimeters one way or the other for your center drill hole on the glenoid, you know, it it can make a big difference in terms of how much fixation you have, and you know, it and the way you go from there. So, I, I yeah, it's the computer is the X rays look great; they look better than I think they ever have, and and the patients seem to be performing better. and And the other thing piece of this is that there is a, a huge amount of data that's being collected with databases now. To actually they can follow exactly where these implants were put in and then machine learning can come in and actually predict the patients of the future like we're running reports on people now before they even have surgery that say if you get an anatomic you have a 5.4 percent chance of a complication these are the risks of the complications you have a 6.8% chance of complications with a reverse, but your forward elevation is going to be 22 degrees better on this side than if you do it on the other side. And so it makes the conversation, The because the patients are always like, well, how's it going to turn out if I get one versus the other? And I'm, and we used to just kind of look at them and go, Oh, but now we're using predict plus, which is based on 15,000 plus previous surgeries that are all the same implants in this database. And so you sort of look backwards and forwards and we're getting better and better and better and more predictable about what we can offer patients and how that's going to turn out two years later, pain relief and everything. It's amazing.
3: That's excellent. So, so what do we forget? What should we have talked about that we didn't talk about?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we talked about it. We we kind of covered a lot of ground, I think. Chelsea, how about you? Anything on your end?
2: Um, Are you using this technology in in every surgery at this point, select surgeries? How do you choose who you're going to use this on?
1: So in terms of the database, I'm trying to enroll everyone I can. And I try to do predict plus, which is this machine learning sort of application of the database on every patient because it helps me educate them preoperatively. GPS navigation. Sometimes you can't do it. The CT will get kicked back and it'll say... Uh, the cuts weren't quite right. And if they don't have a tremendous deformity, I, I just, you know, I use, I do the pre-plan, but I, I can't use the GPS intraoperatively. So, so I'll just use guides then, but I don't, cause I don't want to r- irradiate the patient further, you know, with another whole CT. But, um, so there are exceptions to the rules, but yeah, more, more times than not, I'm using all the technological advancements I can to get to get it as good as I can get it. So, you know, I think,
3: I think that's been kind of the mantra when you talk to, you know, you, I get my little sports medicine talk to the Academy and then people, you, you listen to talks. And I think as you, 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 kind of said it, I mean, as you get more and more comfortable with the technology, you, you, you're going to expand your indications and yep. the technology is going to get better. And I think that's kind of where, where it's headed. And I, I think I, you know, I laud you guys for, for, Progressing because, really, in, in every other discipline, financial. I mean, what is it? It's it's growth in technology. You know, how do we train our athletes better? It's growth in technology. So, again, I, I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job, and and the patients are going to benefit from it.
1: Yeah, I do too. Thank you for for that. That's um, uh, it's interesting too because in it, you know sports medicine. Uh, is always the side that that usually pushes the envelope. And this is one of those times where we're actually on, I started out as a sports guy and, you know, 20 years later, suddenly I'm doing almost 200 sh- total shoulders a year. And I'm like, what happened to me here? But, but it, but I still love the technology and I, and I, and I think you're, it's, it's, it's been a, a real fun ride to watch this evolve and, and watch how patients accept it and kind of ask for it and you know want it. I mean my, my friend had this and I are you gonna run the predict plus on me? I want to see my report. I'm like, okay, it's coming right up. Here we go. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been it's been a great addition to my practice and thankful it's there for us.
3: Well, listen, you guys, thank you very much. This was just excellent. And uh, hopefully everyone is gonna go ahead and, and try to learn more and, and continue to follow. The research, because again, I think I think the information uh, boom right now is really amazing for for some of these technologies, and and certainly totals are one. And I, I really feel like you guys are doing a great service, like I said, to the patient. So thank you very much, and uh, keep up the good work.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you hey, I, I have a, <clears throat> I
0: have a question, uh, Doctor. Uh, can you run simulations? Like you've got this historical database, you've got information, you're looking at this uh, the the CT of this individual and run simulations on what the best approach is and then put that information into, and I'm out of uh, exact tech. I'm looking at it right now, which is yeah. by what, it's, it's a cool website, and they have a little uh, video there that explains what you guys were talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is, <clears throat> if if I'm understanding simulations how you are, Suggesting that is the name of the game. I mean, you know, I, I walk in and, and mark this the surgical side of my patient and I tell them, look, I just did your surgery six times. Yeah. See. <laughs> they look at me and they go, What? And I say, I literally just I just performed your surgery six times. And by committee, we all agree back there that this is how we're gonna do it. And they're like, well, that's pretty cool. That you is. Know, like, <laughs> wow. I mean, like, you know, I tried it this way, this way, this way. And and there's, you know, the whole goal is to avoid the pitfalls and, and things that can yeah. wear it, make it wear out early. And, and we kind of know what, we do know what those are and we know uh, how to make corrections that will last. And so those are the, yes, the answer is absolutely categorically yes. And,
0: and you continue to feed that database. You continue to feed that information and, and your decision, your approach becomes better over time in, in light of uh, Dr. Rick's statement. It just gets better. And, you're, and, it, and that's as a, as a, no, I'm not a patient yet. And I'm not going to see my <laughs> arms. Just go. I'm fine. Look at that. Uh, yeah. But if I was, that would be a great uh, conversation to have. And yes. Yeah. That would cool stuff, guys. I like it. And, 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 and Chelsea, you did a good job uh, peppering uh, Dr. Uh, Hill. Yeah. She <laughs> hit that me. Peppered, man. She, yeah. She didn't have any Got mercy me. on you, man. It's like, Oh, oh. Man, I don't know what does that. <laughs> All right. You guys were wonderful. Thank you for being on in your corner. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us. All
0: right, all right, listeners. Remember to go out to uh, corephysicaltherapy dot Go there, find out more information. Hey, oh, before I forget, I didn't, I, I didn't wrap it up. Uh, uh, Doctor uh, Trendell, how, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, OrthoIllinois.com is probably the easiest way. Um, you, you know, it's all out there. Information age. So okay, and 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 Chelsea, how do they get a hold of you?
2: Uh, com or the, our clinic's phone number is 815-977-4095. i can be available by email, cturner at corahealth.com.
0: And you're, 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 moving. Is that your office there? Are you moving?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. <laughs> She's moving. She's moving. <laughs> all, right. all right. Once again, go out to coraphysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. Great website. Great source of information. I would have to encourage you to go there because that should, should be your first start. Great job guys. All right. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we're going nice to we're gonna have, a, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have another great conversation right around the corner. So stay tuned.